This morning, we uh, jump into week two of our sermon series on influence. Um, as we start in our time together, there are a couple things I just want to make sure are on our radar and in, are in front of us. And Danny kind of started things off in a similar fashion last week as we took a big picture look at the idea of influence. Um, the first is uh, our mission. What is, it, what is it that we are doing as a church? Where are we headed? What are we doing together? Um, we have for the past, I guess, year and a half now, um, been saying loudly that this is our purpose here on this mountain together. Um, and so uh, David's going to put it on the screen, and I want us to say it out loud together. I don't know if we've done this before, but we're going to say it out loud together. This is, what we, this is what we are doing. We are sending transformed people to influence the world for Christ. Say it with me one more time. We are sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. So since uh, January, we've looked at the idea of sending, what it means to be sent by Jesus, and that call that he has on each one of our lives to take the good news of Christ, that God loves us and Jesus came for us to bring us back into relationship with God, that, that that is our mission, that we are sent out to take that good news to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our schools, to the country, to this country, to the nations around the world. The last sermon series, we looked at the idea of transformation. There were these really awesome uh, visual objects that we had each Sunday morning, understanding transformation in the way that um, a tree that is dead is then um, made a new creation as it's shaped into a table leg or um, uh, coffee beans. And you guys know that one was close and near and dear to my heart. The way that a, a cherry moves to a coffee bean, moves to roasting, moves to that great goodness that greeted you when you woke up this morning. This idea of, of transformation. And so now we're looking at the concept of influence, the concept of influence. And Danny gave us a working definition for influence last week as well. And this is the effect of one person on another, the effect of one person on another. Now, um, as we think about influence, this concept of the, the Newton's cradle is kind of a visual that we've placed in front of us to help us remember what influence looks like. Um, we were playing with this before the service, and I, I want to confess, I'm probably going to mess up the physics of this somehow, and I'm going to start it, and it's not going to keep going. Okay, Ray Kamada, who is a physicist, could probably tell me what I'm doing wrong here. But this is the influence of one person on another. And so the idea is that, um, that we are, we're like this silver ball. We hit one side, and we cause impact and movement to others who are around us. I remember um, in my grandfather's office, my mom's dad growing up, see it, it stopped. <laughs> it's actually supposed to keep going. Something about the movement in the middles, like throwing off the Joe, I'm not really sure what's happening, but um, I remember seeing something like this in my grandfather's office growing up. It's uh, something about these kind of physics toys that remind us of perpetual motion, this movement and impact that we see here. But as we think about, as we think about influence, um, I want us to kind of look around and recognize that each one of us, God has created us with the capacity for influence. That's how he's crafted us. He's created us as people that are living life, and as we have interactions with one another, we're kind of leaving in our wake part of who we are that other people pick up and they um, grab onto it and they carry it along with them on their life's journey. And the same thing happens to us, people that we are around. They leave part of their lives um, in their wake and we pick it up and we carry it with us. And sometimes that happens intentionally. We say we want to be influenced by someone. 
We see something in someone's life and we kind of zero in on it and we say, I, I want to follow this person in a way that their life um, kind of brushes off on mine and my life starts to look like theirs. And sometimes that influence is unintentional. We're around people on a consistent basis and we begin to pick up habits and mannerisms and start saying and thinking in ways by the people, by the people that we're around. This is the way that God's made us. He's made us with the capacity for influence. And as we think about what this influence looks like and the capacity that he's kind of landed inside each one of us, he does so in the context of relationship. And God has, as he's created us with the capacity for influence, he's also created us with the need for two different, two different kinds of relationships. The first relationship that God has created us with a need for is a need for a relationship with him. The one who does not change. Okay, God's character is steady, it is steadfast. Um, uh, James, in chapter one, he writes that the character of God is not like a shadow, it doesn't move throughout the day, but it stays steady, it stays firm. It's, it's what causes us to be able to count on him for comfort, for encouragement, for hope. God is the steady, unchanging one who influences us. We're gonna dive deeper in that in our time together. But God has also created us for a need for a relationship with others, with other people. And the thing about being in a relationship with other people that is so different like, than being in a relationship with God who doesn't change is that people change. And not only do we change, but we actually have this propensity, this kind of leaning toward change by the way that he's made us, by nature, that we can be influenced, that part of us can be changed and affected by the life and the effect of, of others. God's created us for a need for people. And in that context, in that opportunity, there's lots of things that can happen. There's the capacity within that relationship for love to be experienced and received, for hurt to be experienced and received, for forgiveness to be experienced and received, for contempt to be experienced and received. Along with these human relationships comes the capacity for deep disappointment and hurt and pain but also comes the opportunity for great joy and vibrancy and actually even experiencing the care and character of God through the people that we are around. There's that great potential that lands in there. I hear in the middle of this, uh, uh, this thought that we're influenced by the people that we're around. I can hear my mom saying, you're gonna be like who you hang around, or I can hear her saying, um, you don't wanna hang out with them. Um, they might be a bad influence on you. And now as a father, I can actually hear some of those same things in some variation uh, coming out of my own mouth. This idea of influence in, in the kind of mix of relationship is something that we all understand, something that we're all kind of prone to and hold on to. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at specific spheres of influence where we have potential to, to cause effect, for one person to cause effect on the other. And we're gonna look for four weeks. We'll look at, next week we'll look at work, then we'll work, look at home, we'll look at our schools, then we'll look at our community and our neighborhoods. But this morning, this morning in our time together, before we look outside of the church, we're gonna look at what influence looks like in here, among us. And as we talk about the church, we're not just talking about a building. We're not talking about this place situated on this mountain at this address on this road inside this room. We're talking about a body, not a building, but a body, not a place, but a people. 
The word um, that's used for church in the New Testament, um, it's this word that means uh, group or gathering. And as we look at, at what a, dis, a, a, a church is, it's a, it's a group or a gathering of disciples. Some working definitions here. A disciple is a follower, period. So anyone that influences us, that we follow after, that would be influencing our lives, that we would choose to willingly to kind of model our lives after theirs, we are a disciple of them. But for our context today, we're talking specifically about being a Christian disciple, someone who is following the way of Jesus. So literally what a church is, what this gathering is, is a group of people that are following Jesus together. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And there are literally hundreds of passages that we could look at in the New Testament that would walk us through what it means to be a people following Jesus together. As I was preparing for this sermon, I would find myself moving in one direction and then pivoting to another and then pivoting to another and then pivoting to another. And that's literally because all of the New Testament, when we look at the way of Jesus, we look at groups of people following him, their lives learning from him, their lives replicating him. It's the narrative that we see all throughout the New Testament that God has created a way for us to have relationship with him through the person of Jesus. And as he does that, Jesus calls us into relationship with himself. He calls us to follow him. But for this morning, our, our passage that we're going to look at is, a two, is two brief verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you'd flip it op- open your copy of scripture or if you want to scroll there in your app, we're looking at uh, 2 Timothy ta- chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. And the verses are also on the screen. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Read it with me again. You then, my child, this is Paul writing to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses will be entrusted to faithful men who will be able to treat who will be able to teach others also. We see in this passage and throughout Scripture that the work of the church, the mission of the church, and actually our mission that we recited on the front end of today is God's mission for his people. The work of the church is the work of discipleship, that we're a group of people following Jesus together, that I'm a disciple following Jesus. And the work of discipleship is this helping one another, me helping you, you helping me follow Jesus in the same direction in his way. And so the work of the church is the work of discipleship, and the work of discipleship is the work of influence, of influencing, of having effect on on one another. So the question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? This is a phrase that we're going to keep coming back to over and over and over again. Influence within the church, following Jesus individually, helping one another follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? In Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 uh, through 39, Jesus kind of sums up this whole idea. And he says that following Jesus is loving God with everything that you are. Okay, and what, what Jesus is restating here was um, a restatement from, um, uh, from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy specifically. And that is to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. With the way you think, with the affections that you have, with the pursuit and drive that you have in life, that you love God with every single thing that you are, and that you love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. So the love that we have toward our neighbor 
would be an extension of kind of even the way that we care for ourselves and, and the way that God has put this innate desire for self-care inside of us. We look out for our needs. When we're hungry, we get food. When we're thirsty, we get something to drink. When we're cold, we put on a coat that we would care for our neighbor in the exact same way. We would have their best interest at heart the same way that we have our own at heart. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Now, there are times that following Jesus is part of our process of belief. So when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about people that have specifically put their faith and their hope in Jesus. They've come to a point where the gospel has been made real to them. They understand God's love for them and that Jesus has come and that he's lived without flaw for us the way that God has intended us to live with him in perfect, unbroken relationship, that Jesus did that for us. And then Jesus took the cost for our imperfections. He died willingly on a cross. He took the penalty for for our sin, for our offenses towards God. And then he rose from the grave. Death could not even hold him down. He had victory over death. And that now Jesus stands, he has stood in our place, and now he stands as our advocate, holding up his perfect record on our behalf, holding up his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, on our behalf, that we could be called children of God, that we could have a relationship with God. That's what we're talking about specifically when we talk about people that are following Jesus. But there are also those of us that as we are following Jesus, we move into belief. And this may be your story. If you think about um, the 12 men that Jesus called specifically to follow him in the Gospels, if you think about these men, they saw these amazing things that Jesus did. They saw him heal people, They saw him teach with authority. The scriptures tell us like people had never seen before. We see him, they see him multiply fish and bread to be able to feed three, uh, four or 5,000 people. He calms stormy seas, he casts out demons. And yet it seems after each one of these accounts that we hear of the disciples, their belief increasing or the the light bulb kind of coming on just a little bit more. It's like a, a fader on the wall that as you move up the light switch, the light becomes brighter, that belief becomes greater. That's what we see happening in the life of the disciples. And so this may be part of what this, your story was for you. You may have encountered Jesus. You may keep encountering Jesus through his people as they're following him. And as you do so, you're coming into belief. You're coming to understand what it means for you to really place your faith in him and hand your life over to him. But as you do so, you enter into this process of personally, intentionally wanting your life to reflect the life of Christ. So we see after Jesus died on the cross, He appeared to the 11 remaining disciples out of the 12 that he had chosen. And at that point, they became full in their belief and their understanding of who Jesus was. But before he ascended into heaven, he gathered the crew one more time and he gave these guys, these 11, he gave them one more charge. He said, just as you have been following me, now you go and you call other people to follow me. And lead them to follow me in the exact same way that you have following, been following me. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the great commission, that we would invite people to follow Jesus and then we would help one another to follow Jesus, that we would learn to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all of our soul, that we would love our neighbor innately as ourselves. 
This is the mission that God has given us. And as we restate our mission statement together as a church, what we're doing is we're making a contextual restatement of this great commission. When we say that we are a people that are sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ, we're saying that we're following Jesus' mandate, that people that are following Jesus would go out and would gather other people and invite them into the family and say, I'm following Jesus, follow him with me. This is what we're doing. This is the mission of the church. There is no lacking clarity in what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to be disciples, followers of Jesus, who make disciples, other followers of Jesus. Now, it seems at times that there is a little bit of confusion in what the mission of the church is. And I'm going to use this, uh, this short example that a, a pastor in Nashville uh, named Robbie Gallaty that he uses that I think is really helpful. Okay, so this is kind of call and response, active participation here. And when you think about Starbucks, Starbucks makes... That was weak. Starbucks makes... Chick-fil-A makes... Got a little bit more detail from the choir than I was anticipating there. Good job, guys. Um, when you think about Rolex, Rolex makes, okay. Toyota makes, the church makes, yes. Yes. This is our charge. This is our mission. So Jesus gives this charge to the disciples. He says, go and invite people to follow me and you follow me the same way that that I've been leading you and following me. And so they hear this, the disciples hear this and they, they go and they hide for a little bit. And then the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus had promised, he comes, he comes to this group of 11 men and he empowers them to step out boldly and follow Jesus again. And they went They helped people to follow Jesus. They proclaimed the good news. And Acts 2 is this really awesome account of Jesus' followers telling the good news to other people and then people responding. Um, When you think about Matthew chapter 4, whenever Jesus was initially inviting uh, the first disciples to follow him, they were fishing and Jesus said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And at this point in Acts 2, we see the net being tossed out, the good news of Jesus being proclaimed. And they're drawing back a catch like they never would have guessed, seeing thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. So along the way in the rest of Acts, we see Jesus appearing one more time. He appeared to a man uh, named Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul. Paul was persecuting people that were following Jesus. And in this really radical account, Paul believed in Jesus and he followed him. He used his capacity for influence after that point to help others follow Jesus. He traveled really, really widely and he would tell anyone who would listen the good news of Jesus and people all over decided to follow him. Paul spends the rest of his life on this mission of leading people to follow Jesus. He wrote letters to churches Groups of disciples that were gathered in areas where he traveled. He intentionally invested his life in the life of others, and he often lists them by name. Um, in our Sunday school material this morning, uh, if you're at 8 o'clock or will be at 11, we're going through 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we work through a process in there where we're working through a list of names of people that Paul specifically mentions his life connection with them in this text. 
He's helping them follow Jesus faithfully. He's intentionally investing himself, himself in their lives. He taught them what he was taught by Jesus and what the other disciples taught him. Now, he was not just teaching the concept of salvation through Christ. He wasn't just talking about a one-time decision that we choose to follow Jesus. But he was talking about the way of following Jesus, of intentionally following him. And listen to this, in everyday life, and this is how it translates to us, intentionally following Jesus in everyday life. And this actually is how God has intended for us to use this capacity for influence that he's given us. That we would lead other people, that we would lead people within this family. Look next to you, look right, look left. Seriously, look, look at, down the pew. Look down at one another. You're not doing it. Literally, look down at one another in the pew. Like, see who is sitting next to you. Look behind you, people that are outside of your family. God has placed us in this family together, in this body together, that we would help one another in following Jesus, that we would use the capacity for influence that he has given us to have an effect on the men and women that are sitting to your right and to your left, people that are part of your biological family that are gonna go to the same address with you after church today and people that you see throughout the week and come together with the larger family on Sunday morning. This is how God has intended for us to use this influence. We live life with people, showing them the way of Jesus by the way that we live. We intentionally invest our lives in one another, pointing one another to the way of Christ. So this morning, our passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see Paul's specific influence on a young man named Timothy. And this is an excellent example of what influence looks like. He invested his life in Timothy. He was encouraging him. He was pointing him to Jesus. And then he led Timothy to do the exact same thing with others. This is the way of Jesus. Followers of Jesus call other people to follow Jesus, who help others follow Jesus. We are disciples making disciples. Look at the text with me again. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one and two. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, Paul and Timothy's relationship, it was really, it was really interesting. Um, Timothy comes from kind of a mixed marriage background. His mother, Eunice, uh, was Jewish. Uh, his father was a pagan. He was Greek. Um, and it was uh, likely that Timothy actually came to faith in Christ during Paul's missionary journey to Lystra. So Paul goes to Lystra. This is actually a place where the apostles, um, this account is in Acts uh, chapter 16, um, where the apostles are almost stoned to death. And at that point, as a young boy, Timothy, Timothy chooses to follow Christ through the ministry of Paul, and they stay connected. Now, Timothy was dedicated to Paul. He was loyal to him. We see some things in First and Second Timothy about Timothy that are very contrasting compared to what we see for, about Paul in the New Testament. We see that um, Timothy, he was timid. He was shy at points, and we see the exact opposite of that coming from Paul. Paul was very upfront. He was very directive. He was very, in some ways, confrontational with people as he led them in following Jesus. And Timothy's, Timothy's quite different in the way that we understand him. He was shy. He was timid. He was also um, frail at times. We see Paul specifically reference some health issues that Timothy had. They were really different people, but Timothy was dedicated to Paul and following Jesus, and Paul was dedicated to Timothy and following 
Jesus. Timothy went on to be the pastor of uh, the church in Ephesus. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So what Paul says to Timothy, he says, you then, Timothy, my child, that's kind of a, a term of affection we see between Paul and Timothy there. He says, be strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word strengthened here actually means to keep on being strengthened. It's this kind of like passive voice. It, you keep moving in the same direction. You are strengthened, so keep on being strengthened. He's likely making tight connection to the end of chapter one in 2 Timothy where Paul goes on about some people that have deserted him in terms of his ministry and what he was doing and taking the gospel uh, to the world. He's saying, Timothy, continue on, keep on pressing on, keep on following Jesus. But he doesn't say, pull yourself up by your sandal straps He doesn't say it's going to be really hard, so hunker down and get a lot of mental stamina and fortitude. It's going to take a lot of grit. It's going to take a lot of determination. You better get ready for some really tough times because you've heard a lot about how difficult it is to follow Jesus. So really get ready for it mentally, emotionally. Physically, you may want to start doing some push-ups. Being shipwrecked is really hard. He didn't say that. He didn't put the onus on Timothy. What does he say? He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the free gift of sustenance that is given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Not that we work for, not that we aim to earn. The scriptures actually tell us that this free gift of salvation, of reconciled relationship with God is given to us in the middle of our rebellion as we're pushing against God, as we're throwing temper tantrums like little children saying, I'm gonna do what I want when I want. It is in that moment that God reaches down to us and extends to us the free gift of relationship with himself. It's in that moment. So Timothy, don't just be strong by what you can do. Be strong by what you could never do on your own. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And then what does he want him to do with this strength? This is verse two. He says, and what you've heard from me in my presence and in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful men who will teach it to other people. He's saying, pass on what you've heard. Now, when he says in my presence, in the presence of many witnesses, he's not talking about one specific time of teaching where Timothy was there and he was taking really good notes and he was telling him to pull the notebook back out so he'd be able to walk through it with somebody else. He's talking about a body of experience where Paul and Timothy's lives had been around and enmeshed with one another so much that there's constant teaching that's being, being picked up from Paul to Timothy. He's saying, take that, take what you've heard and entrust it to other people. Faithful men, reliable men or women. Pass it on to people who will be able to pass it on to other people. In this one section, we see four generations of people following Christ. We see Christ's call to Paul. We see Paul's inviting Timothy to follow him. We see Timothy's entrusting to others the same thing that he has been entrusted with as he's following Jesus. And then those other people will entrust it to other people who will then follow Jesus. We see four generations of faithfulness. Four generations of people following Jesus. This is what the mission of God for our lives is to look like that we would follow Jesus and invite others to follow Jesus. So the question that we land with here is what does this look like practically? 
how do we do this? This sounds good in concept. Like, do I just kind of walk down, if we're talking about influence in the context of the church, I'm just going to walk down the aisle, and I'm just going to tap Tommy Doremus on the shoulder, and I'm going to say, just follow me as I'm following Jesus, and we're just going to kind of walk on our path throughout the church, and we're going to engage life on different levels, and then I'm going to fo- come up here by Mike Mata, and I'm going to say, hey, Mike, come on, follow me, buddy. We're going to follow Jesus together. There's some intentional steps that we have to make as we follow Christ. And I just want to kind of hang three ideas in front of you today. As we follow Jesus practically, we have to do it in the context of relationship, okay? The way that we see Paul's investment in Timothy, we need to initiate that kind of investment with others. And that doesn't happen in a larger group. That's, that's going to happen in some ways as much as you can in your Sunday school class on Sunday morning. But when you're gathered together with 15 to 50 people in a room for 45 minutes where someone is teaching specifically the word of God that they have prepared for your class to walk through, there's, there's some, something that happens when we all rally around the same text together. But we need more than just one person speaking. This type of relationship... This asking other people to follow us as we follow Jesus, it it has to include gospel dialogue. It has to include not just one person talking, but reciprocal relationship among people where everybody has a voice and we're all applying the good news of Jesus to everyday life. Not just a one-time decision, but our ongoing sustainment in life is the good news of Jesus. We have to have transparent friendship We have to truly know others and be known by others. In Sunday school classes this morning, you're talking about building relationships. And there is so far that you can get in building relationships on a Sunday morning. But you're going to generally kind of hit the same things each week as you gather together. It's going to take a step further than that to know one another well and to be known by others. And then the last is... um, This kind of following Jesus practically looks like pursuing spiritual maturity together. Learning to love Jesus and hate sin together. That we would outlove the person of Christ in the way of Jesus over any sort of satisfaction or temporary joy that we would get from living life in our own way in opposition to God. So as we look at these three ideas, this gospel dialogue, transparent friendship, pursuing spiritual maturity together, we have to ask ourselves these questions. And even if we frame them like the text, we see that Paul and Timothy have this kind of relationship. Who are my Pauls and who are my Timothys? Who am I applying the good news of Jesus to everyday life with? The situations that I'm going to encounter when I go home with my wife and my family, the situation that I'm going to walk into at work tomorrow, the ongoing conversation that I've been having with my neighbor that lives next door to me, applying the good news of Jesus to everyday life together, transparent friendships where we actually know one another. We don't speak in broad and general terms, but we speak with specificity because we know each other. We know the good about one another, and we know the not so good about one another. Yet we continue to love each other the way that God loves us. God loves us. I want you to think about people that have had significant influence in your life. Can you, can you just let your mind go there for a second? Think about people who have had the most significant influence in your life as you have followed Jesus. Who, who are they? What is their impact? Is it a parent? Is it a friend? Is it a grandparent? 
I'll tell you a little bit of my own story. Um, back in the early 90s, um, there was a guy in a Sunday school class in a church in Florida that he decided he was going to invest in this really punk teenager. Um, he wanted, the teenager wanted to follow Jesus, but his life was a little bit rough around the edges. And he said, hey, you follow me as I follow Jesus. And so he did. And the boy who was a punk teenager grew up to be a man, a man that was following Jesus. And that man that was following Jesus one day came to me and he saw some things in my life that needed rounded out. He saw some ways that I was loving my sin, my own choices over loving Jesus. And he said, hey, you follow me as I follow Jesus. We're gonna follow Jesus together. So I did. He intentionally poured his life into me. He invested his life into me. And to be honest, had that never happened, I don't, I don't know how the, the trajectory of my life would have shaken down. Understanding specific investment of one person to another in the way that we follow Jesus together. Had he not introduced that to me, I know that the Lord would have provided it at some other point and some other time, but as a college sophomore, I got it. That this wasn't just about me um, following Jesus from some sort of safe distance where I don't get lost. I still know the way, but if I'm not getting close enough to him that he actually impacts those parts of my life that I don't want to be impacted. But that we follow Jesus up close, we follow him side by side, and we follow him with each other. Since then, I have had the awesome opportunity to spend my life investing in other men who have invested their lives in other men. And I'm spending my life investing in my children who will invest in other people who invest in their children. This is what God has intended for us. And this is not a program. This is not some sort of e-harmony that the church should do to help match you up and having relationship with one another. God has given you a sphere of influence in the family of Christ to help one another follow Jesus. They're sitting in the pew next to you, behind you. They were in your Sunday school class at eight o'clock. They will be in your Sunday school class at 11. They're gonna see you um, and bump into you in the lobby as you leave here today. This is the place where God has placed you to be encouraged physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to love God with all that you are and to love those around you the same way that God has loved you. This is God's desire for us. This is what God has created us for in the church to influence one another as we're following Jesus together. This is what he's made us for. Now, there are all sorts of obstacles that pop up and get in the way. My selfishness, my desire to hide. I gotta be honest, guys, I don't necessarily like to let people into my life. I don't out of fear, I don't out of reluctancy, I don't out of, because it's like, it's just uncomfortable. But God has not made me to stand on my own. He's not made you to stand on your own in self-protection and self-preservation. God has created us to live and experience life together. So even in those things that we don't want to share, we experience the forgiveness of God through our brother. We experience the love and the hope of God through our sister. He's tangibly reaching down past our pride, past our self-protection, past our self-reservation to extend the care and loving kindness that he offers us through Jesus. 
So whatever barrier is standing in your way, whether that pride manifests itself and you can't get your eyes off of yourself, you think of discipleship as a term that helps me gain more and more knowledge and feel better and better about myself, so much so that I don't even acknowledge or see those people who are around me. Maybe your pride manifests itself in that way. This morning, God's word for us is saying that the life of a disciple, someone who is following Jesus, is engrafted into the bigger family of faith and we follow Jesus together, making decisions moment by moment that reflect the good nature and character of Jesus. That we would influence one another in such a way that we would look more like Christ after we've been together than before. That like Moses, our face would shine with the radiance of the glory of God when we've been around God's people. So that when we're in this place and in our homes and at our restaurants, when we're spending time together, that influence is then preparing us to send us out to the rest of the world. That God would use us, that we would receive good from his care through one another. But ultimately, that he would receive glory. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna just spend a little bit of time in self-reflection this morning. As I've talked about following Jesus, I'm very aware that in a room this size with the people of this number that there may be someone in here or several someones in here that you've been just doing life on your own, when you think about following somebody to model your life after, there's nobody in front of you. You're just going it on your own. Maybe someone has told you the good news of Jesus, but you just haven't responded. Maybe you're, you're feeling a sense of loneliness this morning. That not only are you not following Jesus, but you don't have people beside you following you in any direction. I would invite you this morning to consider Jesus. The scriptures tell us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're in that spot, that is your invitation this morning, an invitation to come and follow Jesus. And there are those of you this morning that as I ask you about your Pauls and your Timothy, people that you are following Jesus alongside of, following Jesus together, people that you have honest gospel level conversation that you're transparent with, that you're growing in Christ-likeness with. I'm just gonna ask you to, to talk to God about that for a minute. If you're in a space where you've seen clearly God's provision in those relationships, I just want you to, I want you to, to thank, you, to thank God specifically by name for those people, that he has provided people who are using their influence for your good and his glory. And if you're in a spot where what I'm talking about, it sounds good, but it's just not your experience, I want you to pray one more time for God's provision, that God would give you brothers and sisters, that on the pathway of following Jesus, you'd be locked arm in arm with, that together we would be a picture to the world 
of the family that God calls those apart from him into. Ask for God's provision. Father, this morning as a family, those of us who are following Jesus, we say thank you for your son. Thank you for the sacrifice that he paid for us on the cross. Thank you for the invitation that he has given us to follow him. Thank you for the commission that he has given us to go to all the world, to our neighborhoods and to the nations, inviting people into relationship with you and to follow you together. God, this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what he does, that he would cut to the center of our hearts as your children, that he would lead us in obedience, that we would experience fullness of joy as your children. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.